There's a lot of people out there who will tell you and debate with you about why their theology is correct, whether we believe that God is giving us free will to choose him, whether he chooses us first. There's a lot of that, and it's good. It's good to wrestle with that. But I want to caution you about people who have complete certainty about what they believe, because God is a mystery, and there is a place in our faith and in our life and in humankind to know Some of these questions don't have exact answers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to How to Study the Bible. My name is Nicole Eunice, and I'm your host for the next few minutes as we are walking with God through the book of Romans, and it's been an incredible journey so far. If you're new with us, you can jump right in where we are. We're in Romans chapter 9. But you can also go back and start from the beginning if you'd like to work through the book together. We've got a reading plan for you. You can find all that information in the show notes. We have a whole community of people who um, are connected on Facebook and are encouraging one another as we walk through this book. And I just want to share a few of the things that y'all have said has been helpful to you so far in this series. Jamie says, there's so many amazing stuff in chapter eight, so much that stood out to me. What lives with me the most is this. If God is with us, who can be against us? Certainly not God. During those times when I felt the loneliest, God never turns his back on me. He never leaves me. He is always for me. Certainly it will never be God who is against me. Love that. Alyssa says, I'm so encouraged that I don't have to be perfect and that I can't save myself. That kind of takes the pressure off and gives me joy. I love that. Paul was a mighty man and follower of Jesus, but shared that he struggled with doing the right things sometimes too. Ah, I love that. Um, Pam says, Romans have given me the confidence, hope, and trust to live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the truth of God's promises. He is in me, and I am in him, and nothing can separate us. Ah, I just love hearing you guys speak about the ways that you are growing, changing, and embracing the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are free that we can be at peace, that we have confidence knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So, so good. Join us on Facebook if you like to. If you want to pick up the reading plan, you can see how to do that as well. And if you're just with us and you've been along for the ride, let's do it. Let's get into Romans chapter 9, guys. Um, Romans chapter 9, I'm calling a new world order right now. Um, And this is a challenging chapter. So let's get into it together, guys. I I want you to know um, I have a way of leading you, and, and that way is that I don't necessarily, although I have sometimes when I'm stuck, I, you know, consult commentaries and get lots of information, but I really do, for the purposes of this podcast, want us to use our study Bibles and to sit together and to feel the tension of the questions because there is a tendency in human nature, uh, and this is true of theologians, it's true of religious people, um, and it's true of human nature. There's just a tendency to seek certainty. And so particularly as we get into some of the mysteries of chapter nine, you're going to find that there's a lot of people out there who are very, very willing to tell you with 100% certainty what this chapter means. 
There's a lot of people out there who will tell you and debate with you about why their theology is correct, whether that theology is Calvinism or Arminianism. And if you don't know what those things are, don't worry about it. Whether we believe that God is uh, giving us free will to choose him, whether he chooses us first, there's a lot of that. And it's good. It's good to wrestle with that. But I want to caution you about people who have complete certainty about what they believe, because God is a mystery, and there is a place in our faith and in our life and in humankind to know some of these questions don't have exact answers. If it was easy, we wouldn't have great people who love the Lord on both sides of the debate. If it was really clear, we wouldn't have faithful followers of Jesus Christ on both sides of the debate. And there are many, many topics like this in Christianity, baptism, predestination, um, the way we experience communion, um, the path of salvation exactly, exactly as it happens, um, the end times. We have lots of these things in our faith. And um, for the purposes of our time together, I think it's great if you want to explore that and understand that more. But for the purposes of our time, we really are focused on coming to God's Word for the purpose of transformation, coming to God's Word to understand it as it's written and take from it in just the small moments that we have together, what God has for us here. So um, there will be a lot of things that I'll leave unanswered in this chapter, but I at least want us to explore and to wrestle together and to really try to read it for what it actually says and let the questions that you have rise up. So many of us are so sure that we can't ask questions of the Bible, or if we do ask these hard questions, what if we don't get the answers? And what if we lose our faith? And guys, God is stronger than that in your life. And we had this incredible chapter eight that gave us all of these promises about who God is. And we're going to roll into chapter nine coming out of chapter eight. So chapter nine is all about um, God's work through the Israelites and how God works in people's lives and their salvation, right? So if you haven't read it, this is a good time to pause the podcast. Make sure that you've read Romans chapter nine before we get into it, or you're going to feel a little lost. Um, but I'm going to open with the first couple verses of Romans chapter nine, and then we're going to look at the last couple of verses in the chapter and ask some questions in the in-between. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to UnityWeekend.com. That's UnityWeekend.com. 
www.unitedchurchofgod.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. Here we go, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so we open this chapter with an emotional tone. I think it's very important that we do not lose that as we continue to read. Paul has made it very clear how he feels as he begins to enter into this topic. And how he feels is that he has this great sorrow. He feels an anguish in his spirit that is unrelenting. He is so sad and so grieved by what is happening with his his people, his brothers and sisters, the Israelites, the Jewish people. And he's going to begin to talk about this idea that it's not because God has failed that he has not worked through the Israelites, that Christ is entering us into a new world order. And he begins to talk about the differences in how God chooses people and how God chooses to have mercy on some and to harden others, and how God is using Jesus Christ in this, Jesus Christ is now this new world order where we are saved by faith, we are not saved by works, okay? And there's a lot in between that we're going to get into in just a second, but I want to read the end of the chapter as well, because that's going to give us kind of the bookends. We know how to enter in emotionally at the beginning, because we know, okay, Paul is so upset about this. He's so grieved that this is happening, that his own people are turning away from Jesus, that don't that they don't see Jesus as their Messiah. And that this is this he's seeing the splintering happening, right? Even though Jesus was born as an Israelite, came into the world in that way and, and came first to the Jewish people, the message is also for the Gentiles. And a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish, anyone who's not Jewish by birth. So I'm going to pick up in verse 30. It says this. So he said all these things we're going to talk about in a second. Then he says, well, what shall we say then? And whenever they, whenever that happens, it's kind of like, hey, here's the point of the argument. Like, what shall we say then? Means like, okay, based on everything that's just being said, what do we know? Okay. And he says that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in teaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And I'm going to read you Romans 10 verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Okay, so we've got to begin and end there. We've got this beginning where Paul says, I'm grieved in my spirit that I am cut off from, from Israel, that they're not understanding who Jesus is. And he ends with, my heart's desire is that they are saved. 
And if you read Romans chapter 9, first of all, you have to know that is the context of what's being written, is what is happening as Christianity begins to blossom? What is happening among the Jewish people at the time? How are they experiencing who Jesus is? Because the Jewish people were the ones who were given the law, the promises, the covenant. They know the stories. And here's Paul saying, hey, all the stories point to this Messiah, all these prophecies point to this Messiah, and they are stumbling over this Messiah. Perhaps it's because they had an idea of what that Messiah would look like. We begin to get a clue about that in the Gospels, because we can see that Jesus' disciples are like, are you going to set up your earthly kingdom? <laughs> like, are you coming with a sword? When are we going to see you come into your glory? Like, they, they wanted him to be an earthly king who reestablished, like, the, on his throne, like, his community. And meanwhile, Jesus is like, no, like the kingdom of God is completely different than that. And Jesus did not meet the expectations of what the Jewish people thought that he would be and how he would do it. Yet he meets every prophecy that was written about him for hundreds and hundreds of years. It just it didn't it just didn't seem like what they thought it would be like. They didn't have a picture of a king who would sacrifice himself, even though those prophecies were in the Old Testament. And Paul is sharing like this heartbreak that they don't see it and that they're choosing to try to be righteous by the law. And it's actually the Gentiles, the people who are outside of Judaism, who are choosing righteousness that is by faith. So that's what it says, right? But as we as we ask those questions, as we do the the alive method, we walk through these four questions. The first question is, what does it say? We want to try to understand what the chapter really says. Um, and this chapter has a lot of allusions to stuff, and and it, it quotes a lot of Old Testament scripture. So you might have a lot of questions if you're not familiar with scripture. It's probably pretty confusing. But I wrote down a few questions that I had because I had a lot of questions. Here's some of the questions I wrote. Uh, verse 14, it makes it sound like there's injustice on God's part. That's actually what Paul says. He says, is there injustice on God's part? Because earlier than that, it says that God calls who he wants to call. And, and that makes me ask the question, wait, do people have a say in their salvation or is it already known by God? My next question was, are people actually set apart as objects of wrath? Like, are there people out there that God has just chosen to say is an object of his wrath is never going to have a chance for salvation? If God is going to choose mercy and choose hardening, why does it even matter if we live our life according to faith? Is God, is God like fickle? <laughs> is God vindictive? Because it seems like for him to have that sense about the people that he created, that just doesn't add up, right? And so if you really start asking those questions, if you let yourself be a little disturbed by this chapter, you probably have some of those same questions. And, and what's important when we have those kind of questions is just to continue to press through and just say, okay, God is who God is. And this chapter is not the whole story, right? We're in the we're in a chapter that's in a letter that's in a, a bigger story of the New Testament, which is even a greater, bigger story, which is Genesis to Revelation. And we're living in a big story. And we've got this one chapter that's confusing that we're trying to understand. And we want to do that in the context of, first of all, what it actually was for, what it meant at the time that it was written. But also we want to ask the question of what's really the backstory? What is it that I might not be able to understand? And that's usually how I answer those questions for myself when I have a lot of questions and I'm like, gosh, this makes it seem like God is vindictive and God has like chosen people just before they were even born. He's chosen them to go to hell. And, and you start to, to sense all that. 
And one of the things that can be helpful when you do feel that way is to say, there must be things I don't understand here. There are mysteries here that I don't understand. And God, in his, in his wisdom, will reveal them to me in his timing. But there might also be, be mysteries that I don't understand. Just because I come to a part of Scripture that seems hard to understand or seems to say something different about God doesn't mean I have to chuck everything I've ever known about God before this time. Like, I don't have to feel like, oh, my gosh, I must be wrong this whole time. No, like, you know the Bible stories. You know Romans chapter 8. We just read it. We know about all this other stuff that's very clear. So when we come to this clear part. We need to hold it out and say, okay, there must be things I don't understand. So I want to just jump into two things that I chose out of the passage just to read a little bit more about. Just for, for our devotion time this morning, There could, we could do this 50 different places in this chapter, but I just chose a couple. And the first one is, I like to look at where Paul has quoted other scripture, because I know that his listeners would be familiar with that scripture. And so sometimes he might quote like a little piece of a verse, and I find it helpful to go read the whole passage. Because the, the the readers, the people receiving from him would most likely know the passage. They would know the whole passage. They would have heard it in context. So the first passage that stood out to me, because I loved the imagery of it, when Paul's kind of doing this back and forth, asking questions of how do we understand who God is, he says in verse 19, will you say to me then, why does he still fi- find fault? Who can resist his will? Which is one of my questions. If God's already going to decide what God decided, then why is he even finding fault? Like if we can't resist what God has already decided, what are we even doing here? Like why are we even trying? And basically Paul answers that question and this is how he answers it. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of that same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Okay, so I looked down in my study notes, and I realized that's actually a cross-reference to Jeremiah 18. So I flip over to Jeremiah 18, and I want to read this to you, okay? So just listen to the story, the analogy that's given in Jeremiah 18, which is where this, this idea comes from that connects us to Romans 9. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. But if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Okay. Guys, do you see this? Do you see the treasure that is hidden in this passage? You're probably like, no, we do not. Well, let me show you. So in the midst of the context of this passage, God is explaining his character, his nature, and he starts by saying, Jeremiah watches a potter at the wheel who takes one thing, and when it doesn't quite go right, he reshapes it into another thing, right? And the word of the Lord says, yeah, like clay, you can be reshaped. And then God actually says, listen, if I have planned 
for a nation to be torn down, but that nation repents, I will change my mind. And if I have planned for a nation or a kingdom to prosper and they do evil, then I'm going to reconsider. Do you see that there is a mystery with the way that God interacts with us as humans? That God actually is saying through this prophecy, hey, I have intention, but I interact with you. And as I interact with you, my plans change. Now, does that mean that God doesn't know what he's going to do? No, (laughs) no. God is outside of time. But God, who is God, that we cannot fully understand, if we could fully understand God, he would not be God. God, who is God, is giving us this picture to say, hey, I want you to understand that I interact with you, (laughs) that I am moved by you, that when you relent or repent, I relent, that if you continue to rebel, then I'm going to treat you that way. There is this interaction going on. So we've got to hold together just this, this tension, this polarity between two things that we see happening in this chapter. On the one hand, we see that God is sovereign. And he gets to do what God wants to do. And he's going to have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. He's going to harden whom he wants to harden. But at the same time, we have this nod towards God's interaction with humans, that God changes his plans based on the way that humans interact with him. And and those things seem like they are opposites, but God is holding them together for us. And he's giving us these these bookends where he's saying, hey, remember the purpose of the chapter. Remember what I just said in Romans chapter 8. Remember that in Romans chapter 9, it's like, hey, so therefore, what this is all about is the idea that righteousness comes by faith. It doesn't come by works. And so the next little piece I want to point out is in verse 32, where it says they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Well, that's a mouthful. And you want to understand, what does that mean? Why are... why? Are the Jewish people stumbling over the stumbling stone? Why is this happening? And we find out when you do a little cross-reference that Jesus is the stumbling stone. Jesus is the stone that people stumble over. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 through 24. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is that stumbling stone. Like, guys, it's just sometimes if you've been around church for a long time or Christianity, you forget. This does seem like foolishness, like the story of Jesus Christ this man, this historical figure who lived who, who lived in obscurity for 30 years, and then for just three years of his life, he had a public ministry where he performed signs and wonders and taught this like completely countercultural message of the kingdom of God. And then he was just unjustly arrested, put into a ridiculous trial, and murdered. And, and that was it. Like, that's the story of Jesus Christ. And then his disciples say that he's risen and that no one can find his body and the body's not there. And then more than 500 people say that Jesus appears to them. And then all of a sudden people are just doing, they, they're just dying for the, the truth of who Jesus is. They, they're bearing witness to the story and they're willing to be martyred for it and they will not recant the story. Like, if you just remove the whole, everything you know about church, and you just look at the story for what it is, this historical man who had a three-year career, who then just died, and his followers insist that he was raised from the dead and that he appeared to them, and now here we are. 
in 2021, billions of people believe this message spread from one story to the next, one witness to the next witness, generation after generation who say, I know this Jesus. It seems like foolishness. And yet this is who Jesus is. He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. He is a stumbling block for those who want it to look a certain way. He seems It seems foolish to those who want to live to their own self-interest and they want everything to make sense. And, and Romans chapter 9 is like, hey guys, like God is God. God is going to do what God is going to do. And this is what he has given us. And our righteousness comes by faith. And if we stumble over the story, if we stumble over Jesus, then we are trying to work our way into faith. We are no longer living by faith. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. So when we take all that in and we know that we still have questions about all that, we get to question three in the Alive Method, which is what does it mean? And here's all I want to point out in the midst of the mystery of the story is that when we go to look for a principle, when we're looking at the chapter and we're like, okay, what does this mean? What's, what's, the, st- what's the principle here? What's the theory that we're working with? What did it mean then? And it's the same thing that it means now, Right. And when we do that and we have questions that we can't get answered, here's a couple of things that can help us when we're trying to choose a principle. First of all, we compare Scripture to Scripture. So if we're confused in a passage of Scripture, we're going to look for something else to help clear it up within Scripture. And the second one is we're going to interpret obscure passages with clear passages. So if we get to something that feels out of line or just we can't understand it or it goes into a lot of stuff that we don't understand, we want to go with like what's really clear in Scripture first, and then we're going to interpret something more obscure with something clear. So one of the things that we have that's in front of us that's hard to understand is what does this mean? Like, is God just up there just choosing who gets saved and who's an object of wrath and that's just the way it goes and it is that what this is all about 
And whenever we get to that question, we need to ask, well, what else do I know in Scripture that is very clear, (laughs) that is very, very forthright? And here's two passages I want to give you, two verses that you probably are familiar with. Here's two clear passages of Scripture that we can interpret, Romans chapter 9, with the first one's this, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That's it. That is very clear. It is very clear that God loves his creation, that he loves his world. So when we look at this, trying to understand the mystery of like, are some people destined for wrath or some people destined for mercy? We've got to interpret that knowing, well, what we do know is that God is love. And I'm going to start from that. There's other things that I don't know, but what I do know, like I don't know exactly how salvation works. I don't know exactly how predestination works. I don't know exactly how it works that God hardens some and has mercy on some. But what I do know is that God loves the world. Second thing we know, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, very clear. That is a very clear passage. So when I get to this obscure passage, I want to lay it up against this one that says, okay, I don't understand the mystery of how all of this is working. But what I do know is that scripture tells me that God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but that God wants everyone to come to repentance, right? What I do know from Jeremiah, the one that the passage that we read from Jeremiah 18 is God will relent. God changes as people change. We know that, right? So those are a couple of things I know. There's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of things in Romans chapter nine that I don't know. But I do want to land my devotion time in like what I do know. And those things I do know. I do know that God so loved the world. I do know that God is patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And what I do know is Romans 10 verse 1, right? What it says at the very end of the passage, why why I went into the next section was because of what it actually says. It says, hey, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So even Paul, in the midst of explaining the mystery of who's God hardening and who's God being merciful to, he's saying, hey, my desire and the way I'm praying is for them to be saved. So that's a clear signal for us that my desire and the way I'm praying is for the people that I love to be saved. My desire and the way that I'm praying is that the people around me will repent. My desire and the way that I'm praying is that God will bring the people that I love, that he's calling me to, to know him, to be enlightened by him, to turn to him, to not stumble over Jesus. And I should be doing that. That is very clear from scripture that God is calling us to that. So what does it mean for me? Well, I gave you some options for what it might mean to you, what it might mean to the way that you engage with others in your life who are maybe far from God. But what I know that it means for me today is, am I willing to be clay in God's hands? Am I willing to be clay? Am I willing to be formed? Am I willing to be reformed? And can I hold on to the mystery of what I cannot explain with the certainty of what I can explain? And what I know is this, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, 
we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleUnis.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hard-working pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.